This is not going to be a bait-and-switch thing, where I talk a lot about how wonderful something is and convince you to do it, and then don't give it to you. If you listen and truly take it to heart, I guarantee that whatever spiritual oppression you are going through will end, and you can make certain it does not return. You don't have to buy anything, and you don't need any special equipment. Just listen. In this episode, we're going to be talking about our spirits bothering you. How to get rid of them for good. When spirits, or whatever you want to call them, start causing trouble, sometimes in very frightening ways, it usually has one thing in common, in everyone's own testimony. You opened the door to them. You can't look into spiritual things and not expect a spiritual response. It just doesn't work that way. Now, it's not every case that someone went looking for spiritual things that opened a door. Sometimes there's a generational influence. Uh, If you had someone in your family who was heavily involved in spiritual things, uh, mother, father, grandmother, grandfather, etc., then you may just, by your relationship to them, have been brought under certain influence. It's usually perceived, especially when you're young, as a sensitivity or an ability sometimes. Think uh, Anne of Green Gables. These people see things as children and generally just come to the conclusion that they are special. I was talking to a young woman at work one time about these things, and she just broke down crying and told me that she used to see this man in her home when she was a child. The man would get angry at her, even hitting and bruising her, and her parents would just think that it was her imagination. They couldn't see him, you know, an an imaginary friend. And then they would ask where she got her bruises and scrapes from. Now, other times, you can just come under the oppression and influence of these spirits by happenstance. You buy a new home, and it starts. Could have been the influence of the people that were in the house before you, Um, all sorts of things. And sometimes that's the case. Sometimes it's not necessarily a person's fault. They just walked into something. A lot of times, though, it begins after someone gets curious about something, a practice or craft, and they start looking into it. Something like ghost hunting or paranormal investigation. When they start practicing it or trying it themselves, maybe even skeptically, they find that there is something really to it. Supernatural things begin to happen. It's a lot of the case with things like Ouija boards. And it is curiosity and fascination that keep them into it. Eventually, though, it can devolve into a bondage. And quite frightening. If you have ever been involved with any of the following, and I know this list is kind of, there's some redundancy here. Some things are, there's a lot of overlap in this list, and it's quite long. But you listen, if you've been involved in any of the following you have reason to be concerned. So let me go with this. It's kind of long. Astrology, Satanism, or partaking in black mass, drinking blood, animal or human, dousing, fortune-telling, any kind, any kind of magic, any kind of craft, Wicca, witchcraft, or sorcery, channeling or being a medium, tarot cards, santeria, psychic readings, hypnotism, whether by a magician or a psychologist, Ouija boards, seances, parapsychology, psychic surgery, Rosicrucianism, spiritism or necromancy, 
paganism, whether some ancient form or more modernized neo-paganism, anything involving sacrifices or offerings, blood or animal, Kabbalah, Eastern mysticism, that would include Hinduism, New Age movement, anything, and that's a huge banner, UFOs, yes, ufology, alien abduction, if you have some sort of experience like that, goddess worship, Wicca again, Mormon baptism, meditation, yoga, any altered states of consciousness, ghost hunting, paranormal investigation, charms, crystals, talismans, onks, idols or statues of a spiritual nature, for example, something like a fertility goddess or an Isis or Horus statue, etc. Praying or communicating with spirits, the dead or the universe, the source, you know, things like that. Hallucinogenic drugs such as ecstasy, LSD and those things. ESP, telepathy, astral projection, Reiki, or anything of the like. Um, even games like Dungeons and Dragons or Magic the Gathering are able to open doors to these things. And while it may not always happen, the exception is not the rule. It is through these sorts of practices that people penetrate and get involved with powerful spiritual things from which they have no real protection. And you can eventually become their playthings, really. Now, let's consider some signs of spiritual oppression. Any paranormal phenomena that include, but is not limited to, strange lights in the room. You know, that would include orbs and those things. Taps or banging on the walls. You know, unusual things. We're not talking pipes and stuff. Nightmares. Strange voices or a visible presence or manifestation it could be something that appears as just a person or a thing. And then if you've seen it, you know what I mean. Cold spots and or strange smells and even physical attacks on the body such as choking or waking up levitating over your bed, scratching, pushing, and hitting. And I've heard testimonies of all these things. Now there is another issue to consider that a lot of people really don't feel comfortable with, but if it's you, then listen. Many occultic things encourage the person to ask or invite a spirit into them or into their lives. You know, they have, you have help on the other side, you know, just ask and invite them to come over and help you in your life, things like that. And it's usually some sort of language like that. Sometimes the fact that a person is willfully participating in these practices gives the spirit permission to enter them, such as Ouija boards. A lot of times if somebody becomes possessed or they get involved in some of this, it, they didn't explicitly ask permission necessarily, but by their willful engagement in things like Ouija boards, which are very popular today, thanks to YouTube, you are giving them permission to deal with you. And when this is the case, the person may see some of these manifestations, um, indwelling of the spirit in the person, unusual strength, personality changes, perceivable conflict within the person, wanting help but also recoiling in fear or anger from what may help them. Uh, I remember hearing about Jimi Hendrix, the guitarist, where he was involved in voodoo and all of these things, and, and you top, on top of that, LSD and such things. And he openly testified to people, saying he knew that he was possessed, there was something in him. And he went about trying to find an answer to get it out of him, although he never never found it. And it was really sad hearing the way he was describing it. He was desperate. And then dying as young as he did. 
but you want, will see something like a perceivable conflict within a person like that. Um, speaking with previously unknown foreign languages um, or multiple voices at once or a distorted voice. And usually that might be accompanied with a personality change when they're doing it. Um, a low and guttural voice, for instance. Um, transference. Uh, these type of spirits can move in and out of people who are unprotected. They can. That's what's called transference. Um, and intense opposition to traditional religion. That's a, a symptom of these things. And those are all normal signs of possession. Um, there is one more thing that is a sign of, or a symptom of this kind of spiritual opposition. They can be delivered almost instantaneously from it. These spiritual beings are very intelligent. Nobody questions that. They are very powerful, and anybody who has dealt with them knows it. They are very frightening, and indeed they want you to fear them. And they are very, very deceitful. And that is provable, too. And I'll tell you how later. They'll come to you under a banner of peace, love, and light. And they'll offer you all sorts of things. They'll try to give you wisdom. You can give them counsel. And they want you to grow dependent upon them in that sense. But it is only to draw you under the, their influence. It's a bait and switch. You know, they promise you this, and then you come under their yoke, and then you find out eventually what really is the case. Well, some, some don't ever go that far. Now, let's talk quickly about some common advice that is very wrong about how to deal with these things. And I just picked a couple of things, mainly because these seem to be the most common um, of what people think about how to deal with these things. If you came under the power of these things through some sort of involvement with the New Age movement or Eastern mysticism, then you were lied to about there being no real evil. And there, there are truly evil and unclean spirits out there that want to hurt you. The New Age movement tells people to send light and love to the person because you're taught that these things are only a projection of their own fears and whatnot. You know, there's no real evil out there. It's just, you know, the spiritual world is all light and love. There is nothing evil in it. And that's completely false. And if you're listening to this, you may have found that out already. And even uh, one of the testimonies we're going to go over here in a few minutes, um, that's exactly what happened. If you came under the power of these things by Satanism or Wicca or any form of craft and magic, then you have been taught to just use charms or spells, offerings or circles and pentagrams on the floor. You know, if you're in the circle, you're fine. You know, these things will not protect you. They are usually told to you to draw you in and give you a sense of power and security over these powerful spiritual beings. And if you dwell long enough in these things, you may find out how helpless you really are, and usually too late. Now, do not call for a Catholic priest to come and bless your house. It may make you feel better, but it has no intrinsic power at all to have a man come to your house, sprinkle so-called holy water, wave around some incense, and leave. It, it really doesn't do anything. The ceremony might make you feel better, but it will not really help. Now, there's only one way to be delivered completely and continually from these things. So before I go over some testimonies from people who have proven what I'm going to tell you, proven, 
And I want to keep emphasizing that this is something you can prove yourself. I want you to consider the implications of what's really going on. If you are being spiritually oppressed, how much do you really want it to go away? There's some people who I've heard, they get involved in these things, and they like it. They like the fear. They like the intense emotional or sensational effect that comes upon them when they are afflicted by these things. And that's quite frightening whenever you hear the things that they go through, but it makes them feel special. But usually people who live with these things live in fear. Um, a lot of times people really didn't know what they were getting into. Well, like I said earlier, they walked into something that they didn't know what was going on, and it wasn't through any fault of their own. It was just coincident. It was just how things worked out. They came into a house, they bought a new house, and this happened. It really is frightening what some people go through. People wake up being choked by an unseen hand. People wake up levitating off their beds. They see people in their house that aren't physically there. They hear footsteps up and down their stairs, running up and down the hall when they are home alone. Some people truly know that there is some evil spirit that is indwelling them. They know it, they feel it, influencing them, and sometimes controlling them. And others know what it is like to have something continuously push them towards self-mutilation, cutting, and suicide. And I know from experience what that is like. So how much is it worth it to you for it all to stop for good? People are willing to pay people to come in and try to do all these things to their home. They're willing to buy equipment. They're willing to buy all these things. And it's not going to do them any good. People have done it before, just like you. And even one of the testimonies we're going to go over, it's exactly what the man did. It doesn't really help. Because the real issue is that you've been deceived. You've been lied to about the whole paradigm of how the spiritual world really works. And I'm not talking about an it's-all-in-your-head thing. I mean that you truly have been lied to if you've been involved in any of those practices and followed them. Why is it that people think that they should just believe other people or spirits? Because they tell you some things that might be right sometimes about events or people? You have no objective reason to believe that they are telling you the truth. And you really need to consider that, especially if it benefits them. Because the real issue is that the Bible really is the Word of God, and you've been living on the wrong side of it. Now, this is something that I challenge you to prove. This is why I continue to emphasize this. People say, well, the Bible is just an archaic thing. Well, really? Well, this is an opportunity for you to prove it. If you're listening to this, and this is something you've been going through, don't take my word for it. If you've been dealing with any form of spiritual oppression or opposition like these things, then you have the perfect opportunity to prove it. And now let me go over some testimonies to that fact. Johanna Michelson was a young woman who had lived um, her life and seen manifestations of spirits, I mean, visible manifestations regularly, and even communed with some of them. They were spirit guides. There were some that were more friendly and those things. And she saw nothing wrong with them, though at times she became quite frightened by what they did. She became a New Age follower and eventually came under the apprenticeship of a psychic surgeon in Mexico City. The psychic would channel a spirit and that would guide her in diagnosing and treating things. And her nickname, I forget what it was, um... But she came under the power of this thing, and it would. there were supernatural healings. There really were. It was transmutation of matter and all sorts of things. Johanna herself would meditate and descend into her laboratory, which is um, her altered state of consciousness in this place that she had um, kept in her mind's eye. And that was where she would commune with her spirit guides. 
Um, one of them professed himself to be Jesus, and the other one professed and called its name Mamacita. That's a strange name, but that's what it was. Certain things came to pass that made her question what she was into. And after taking a leave of absence from her work there in Mexico City, she came to believe that she was being deceived about what she was into. And she confronted her spirit guides thus. Here's a excerpt from her book, The Beautiful Side of Evil. She says, You are not the Jesus in the Bible, are you? I challenged the figure of Jesus which stood before me in the shadows. There was no reply. His eyes were closed. Mamacita, her other spirit guide, stood close by him. Then I command you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, tell me, do you believe that Jesus Christ is God uniquely incarnate in human flesh? There was a violent flash, as though from a powerful bomb, brought the walls of my amethyst and gold laboratory down all around me. When I looked up, my counselors had vanished. Now, a couple of years after Johanna Michelson published her book, giving her testimony of these things, because she started warning other people in the New Age movement about the deception that was going on, there was a man named Warren Smith who found her book in a New Age bookstore. Warren had been involved with the New Age movement himself for many years, and his girlfriend Joy had been involved too. Now, when an evil spirit began oppressing his girlfriend, they exhausted everything that they knew and could find, trying to rid themselves of its presence to no avail. They searched everything. They went to their meetings where they were going over a course in miracles and these sorts of things. Nothing helped, and it was truly evil. And in the New Age movement, if you were involved in it yourself, you know that they tell you, there is no real thing as evil. It's just a projection of your own fears, your own insecurities and these things. If you do that, it'll go away. Send light and love, you know, and it'll go away. They did that. They exhausted themselves, and it convinced them that something was wrong. Nothing would help them. Then Warren Smith found Johanna Michelson's testimony, Beautiful Side of Evil, and it struck him because they had the same background. And he began taking notes out of the book on the floor of the bookstore, it's interesting because a random man came into the store and began angrily harassing him, asking him why he was looking at that book. The man didn't even work at the store. Why did he care? Now, here's Warren's testimony. And this is from his book, um, The Light That Was Dark. He says, It took me a minute or two to pull myself together. It was as if the evil I had been reading about had suddenly walked into the store. And although it seemed weird, I had to ask myself if it was possible that evil was being exposed in the book? Or was it possible that evil knew I was reading about it? Most frightening of all, was it possible that evil could pull a disturbed man off the street and into the bookstore to try to keep me from reading this book? When I finally finished the book, I put all my notes in my day pack and left the store with new resolve. We now had an entirely new approach to our problem. If it was an approach I didn't fully understand... But it had worked for Johanna, and although I didn't know why, I believed her. As wild as her account was, I somehow knew it was true. I was anxious to try her suggestion. I didn't say anything to Joy about my new findings, but the next morning when she became oppressed, I saw my opportunity to apply what I had learned. I asked Joy if we could go out to her mom's backyard, and I told her that I wanted to try dealing with the problem in a different way. As we sat in the yard, I could see from Joy's face that the presence was particularly strong. I spoke to her as gently and reassuringly as I could and told her not to be afraid. What I was going to try was new, and I thought it would help. 
Reading from my notes the exact words that I had taken from Johanna's book, I firmly addressed the presence. And he says, Satan, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, I command you to be gone. I forbid your presence here. I claim the protection of the blood of Jesus upon us. Go where Jesus sends you. Whoosh! Joy's face cleared immediately. The oppression was gone. Joy felt the man's presence leave instantly, as if he had no choice. We were both amazed and deeply impressed. What was that? Joy asked in wonder. I'm not sure, was all, was all I could say. But it has something to do with Jesus and a victory he won over evil on the cross of Calvary. Satan seems to represent the sum of all evil, and that evil was somehow mysteriously defeated when Christ died on the cross. I don't pretend to understand it, but that's, that's all that's written in the Bible, I guess. Whatever the case, we realized that we had come to a sudden and dramatic understanding that there is something incredibly powerful about calling on the name of Jesus. That's Warren Smith's testimony, The Light That Was Dark. Now, and if you read his testimony, you see that it was an ongoing process because they didn't fully understand what they were getting in, what, what it all meant. And so there was a time of looking into things and examination and proving some things. But they would, uh, Warren Smith would wake up in the middle of the night and there was something that would be choking him. And then his girlfriend, Joy, would have to ca would, um, call him Jesus and the thing would leave. And then next time they tried to go to sleep, the thing would attack her. And then he would call on the name of Jesus. And it would happen every single time the thing fled in the name of Jesus. Next, here is a testimony that my wife has from when she was in college that shows the difference of those without Jesus Christ and those with Jesus Christ. Hi, my name's Ashley. Uh, Jonathan wanted me to record this testimony that happened to me when I was in college uh, several years ago. And um, to start out, I'll give you a little bit of a prelude. I had been in a mess spiritually some years before, and when I got out of everything I was in, I devoured the scriptures and the Word of God. And so when I was in college, I was very, very zealous for the Lord. And I would, I'd run away and I'd spend eight to, or I'd read eight to 12 chapters of my Bible a day. And I would spend like two hours a day in prayer and just seeking the Lord's face. And um, in turn, I saw the Lord work a lot when I was in college. And uh, it just seemed like he was often directing my steps and it was pretty exciting. But one particular day, probably in about 2006 or 2007, um, I had just, I had got up on an elevator, and there was a, a girl on there, and she looked at me, and she said, do you have a floppy disk? And um, I looked at her, and I was like, nah, I don't have a floppy disk. I got a jump drive, though. And she says, oh, she goes, I don't know how to use it, but I really need something like that. And I was like, well, I'll help you out, you know, and I went over to her room and um, started transferring some files for her. And uh, as I was doing that, she sat on the bed and began telling me all of her life's problems. And she was going through a whole lot and uh, a lot of difficulty at the time. And I, I remember I, I shared a little bit, I think, about the Lord with her, just a tiny bit. And I asked to pray with her. And she was really struck that I asked to pray with her. And um, about a week later, I, I stopped up and I put a note on her door and told her that, you know, I was I had been continuing to pray for her and was thinking of her. And... Um, 
Then I'd gone off to have a Bible study with some girls, and it was a very edifying Bible study that day. I just really saw the girls growing in the Lord, and I was very excited. And I remember coming back and just getting on my dormitory room floor on my knees and just raising my hands and just praising and thanking the Lord. And afterwards, I went over to the cafeteria to get something to eat, and I was going to sit alone, and um, that girl, whose name was Alicia, was there, and she she was sitting with a friend, and she's like, oh, hey, you're sitting alone. Come sit with us, and I was like, okay, so I went over and brought my tray and sat down beside them, and they were having a conversation, and one of them was talking about getting drunk over Thanksgiving, and one of them was talking about, like, almost killing her brother or something, and <laughs> I just sat there eating, <laughs> and um any rate, I, I, I remember it very clearly because it was just seriously one of the most awesome days of my life. Um, it was very odd. It was like I just dropped my fork and nothing like this had ever happened before. And nothing like this sadly has ever happened since. But it was like the spirit of God just fell on me. And I began sharing about the Lord like I had never shared before in all my life. And in the middle of me talking, I was like, oh, wow, this isn't me. I'm speaking with an authority that I never knew I had, and I don't think this is me talking. And to kind of give you an idea, like both girls just sat there dumbfounded, listening to everything I said. Like you saw the shock on their face. It was like you just kind of, they were just their forks were practically like down too, and their jaws were kind of open. And I believe that the tables around us were listening too. And I was like, Oh, wow. What's going on here? <laughs> but anyway, afterwards, um, when I finished my spill, both girls were, like I said, just dumbfounded. And, um, the one, her, her name, the friend, her name was Bethany. She was in the occult. She, you know, was really with tarot cards and a lot of spiritualism and, you know, dream interpretation and all that type of stuff. And uh, um, Alicia, the, the one that I had originally prayed with, she was like Lydia in the Bible, whose heart the Lord opened. And she just looked at me and just started asking question after question after question about God. When I tell you, this girl was absolutely clueless to anything of God. I mean, after after all this happened, I mean, like, I didn't know, like, the basic Bible stories or anything when I was talking to her. And so she just began asking question after question. And because I had a habit of reading 8 to 12 chapters of my Bible a day, I, the Word of God was in me. And I just began answering her and sharing with her and explaining things to her. And finally, she looked at me and she said, okay, Bethany, which was apparently her best friend, um, has these cards. And they're called fairy cards. She said, but I think they're creepy. And they're supposed to, like, call on God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. And I just think they're really creepy. Would you come look at them? And, of course, Bethany was sitting there, too. And uh, so I was like, okay. So uh, the three of us left the cafeteria, and we, we all headed over to Bethany's room. And uh, I took one look at them when I got up there, and I was like, I don't like, I don't care what they, they say they conjure up. It's not God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. They're tarot cards. You know, they're occultic. And uh, we sat there, and... Uh, Alicia just continued to begin 
just question after question after question. And at one point when she had asked a question, like I opened my, my Bible to answer and it like fell right open to the answer. And that was like a real like sign to her. She was like, oh my goodness, you know. And um, the girl that was in the cult, Bethany, she just kind of sat quiet, just watching and listening. And finally, Alicia says, you know, she's like, before dinner, I was so stressed. I was really stressed. She's like, actually, I knocked on your door to have lunch with us, and you weren't there. And she's like, and I just felt really stressed. But she's like, but right now, I, I just feel really peaceful. And I said to her, I was like, Alicia, do you want to get saved? And she she's so oblivious to the things of God, and she's like she's like, oh, well, don't I need like a, a priest or something here, or a pastor or something? And <laughs> I said, well, if that's the case. I was like, I, I don't know what I would have done. But um, she sat down with me. She got down on her knees with me and she just really poured out her heart to God in prayer. And when she was done, she looked up at her friend, Bethany, and she's like, oh, Bethany, you should really do this. This is... <laughs> This is just awesome. And I remember I was just so joyful that day because it was just like you just saw God's hand on everything. And I was supposed to meet somebody at like 7 o'clock and everything wrapped up at like 6.55, which gave me the few minutes to get over there at 7 o'clock um, to meet the other girl for something. And um, it was just, you know, God's an on-time God. He knows exactly what he's doing. But, but what Jonathan was really wanting me to share, that was kind of the background story, was a few days later, Alicia um, had really wanted to talk to me, and I know some girls, you know, came to me and was like, Ashley, you know, Alicia's looking for you. She wants to talk to you about something. And I was like, okay. So I arranged to meet her up in a computer lab in our dormitory building, and when we got up there, what she first said alarmed me. I'm like, oh my goodness, what did I do? <laughs> I led her to, to the Lord, but um, she said, Ashley, the night you led me to the Lord, she said that I went up to my room and it was, it was, she said it was just all dark. And she said, I, I laid down on the bed and she said it was like a, a slideshow of evil pictures went before my eyes. And she said, I looked down on the ground and there was a man on the floor. And she's looking at me, and she's like, and I prayed, but I immediately fell asleep. I told Bethany about it the next morning, and she started crying and saying the same thing happened to her, but things started touching her. And I looked at her, and I was like, Alicia, do you know why nothing touched you? And she's like, well, why? And I took her to the book of Job where God said to Satan, you know, okay, Satan, all that Job has is in thy power, but upon himself put not forth thine hand. And um, a little bit later, I came across the scripture where it says, and I think it's First John, where it says, whoever is born of God, the wicked one toucheth him not. But it really struck her when I gave that scripture. And I remember I had to write it down for her because she wanted to run and give it to Bethany. <laughs> and she was just really... Um, excited but and it was really cool afterwards too because she did give her heart to the lord at the time and um she's really excited about the book of job <laughs> she was so oblivious to the things of god she called it, it uh, job instead of job but what was really such a blessing in all of that was alicia experienced god's protection 
in such a demonic manifestation that I guess she had never experienced in all her life. And that Bethany had to go through not being a child of God, things touching her and tormenting her. But Alicia was protected. As soon as she prayed, she fell asleep. And that was always just such an encouraging testimony. Now, in that testimony, you saw the difference between what happened whenever the one girl gave her life to Christ and then the other girl did not. And you saw the difference in the effects. Now, the solution to these problems is found in the authority and power of Jesus Christ. The Bible is filled with eyewitness testimony of Jesus Christ and his earthly ministry dealing with demons and exercising absolute authority over them. And in the show notes is a list of references in the Gospels to this, if you want to go over them and look at them yourselves. And the early church, after the ascension of Christ, proved it also. And then even after the apostles passed away, the early church in the 2nd and 3rd centuries and onward showed absolute confidence in the name of Jesus Christ. One of them actually challenged publicly, um, if anyone had that, that they should speedily you know, that any of the brethren, the Christians, could call in the name of Jesus and cast the things out. It was a common understanding, and it amazed those who were in the bondage of these things, and many were converted because they saw the authority and power of the name of Jesus Christ. This is not a new thing, but if people have an aversion to the name of Jesus Christ, and even in the occult, the New Age movement, every other religion, for some reason, respects Jesus. They just redefine who he is. They really do. It is only the Jesus who is described in the scriptures, the Bible, that is Jesus. Why is it that every other religion has an aversion to him? Why is it that every other religion and practice has a hatred for God? And they're all united against the God of the Bible, as he defines himself. You know, there was, another, there was a woman that my wife worked with who was dealing with these things in her home. Uh, she was not a Christian. And a demonic spirit was oppressing her in her home. She did not know it was demonic. She just thought, well, there's some good spirits and there's some evil. There's some ones that are more grotesque and a little scary. She didn't think that there was anything demonic about it. But there were full-bodied manifestations of people. And then that one particularly grotesque one that was very frightening. She went to a church after she got troubled about some things, and she got some counsel from a couple to pray in the name of Jesus. And when one of the things appeared, she commanded it to leave in the name of Jesus, and it did. And she prayed for God to purge her house of those things, those unclean spirits that were doing things, and relying on God's authority to do so. And the lights were going on and off, things were tapping or banging, and they left. There is authority over all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, and you can prove it yourself. If you're in one of these situations, you can prove it. You see, the name of Jesus has authority because of who he is and what he accomplished on the cross. God is not some impersonal force. He is not the source or the universal consciousness. He is a being. Man has sinned against him in disobeying his commandments and in his rebellion against God. We want to live our own way and we want to do our own thing. We want the authority over our own lives. That's wickedness. God made you and gave you life. He is the one with the authority, and he has to punish all wickedness, evil, and sin, as he defines it in the universe, because he is holy and righteous. But he wants mankind to be reconciled to him, 
God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, born of a virgin, to live a sinless life and to die on the cross to make a sacrifice for sin. Then on the third day after His burial, He rose from the dead to testify that it was He who had power over death. The Bible says after Jesus' resurrection, He says to His disciples, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. That's Matthew twenty-eight eighteen. He says, All power. In the book of Hebrews, we're told, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same. God became a man. That through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Hebrews two fourteen through 15 And that, des- that description describes a lot of the people who were involved in these things. There's fear, and they're subject to the bondage of these things. There's some people who are quite oppressed. They're at their wit's end. They don't know what to do. There's desperation. But Christ came the first time to destroy the works of darkness and to overcome the powers of darkness. They are subject to his authority. The early Christians knew this and applied it regularly. In the book of Acts, we read, um, when the apostles were starting to preach the gospel after Christ's ascension, we are told in Acts 5.16, there came a mul- also a multitude out of the cities round about unto Jerusalem, bringing sick folks, and them which were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed every one. In order to be reconciled to God and to come under His protection, you have to repent, which means to confess your sin to God and to turn from your sins. Remember, that's as He defines it, not by our preferences. And believe on Jesus Christ as the Son of God. You look to Jesus and what he accomplished in his death and resurrection as your means of forgiveness and reconciliation to God. Now, some people who are dealing with very real manifestations in their homes, or even themselves, may need to make sure of some other things also. Every object of occult influence, of spiritual influence contrary to the Bible, should be destroyed. Idols, charms or jewelry. Some jewelry companies are actually owned by witchcraft covens, and they actually bless them in the name of, you know, goddess and Mother Earth and these things. And that just, if that's in your house, then it's, you're inviting um, this oppression upon yourself. Um, Posters or pictures of occult things and symbols and these sorts of things. Books, witchcraft books, New Age books, any such thing like that. Statues, even clothing with occultic themes, movies, music, such as heavy metal and rock music. Some of these sacrifice goats on stage. And no, I'm not joking. Anything and everything like it in your house, destroy it. If it can burn, burn it. And this is an outward show that you are repenting and you are renouncing these things in the name of Jesus. It's saying, no, I don't want these things. Also, pray very specifically to God in the name of Jesus Christ. Ask forgiveness for these things and renounce them emphatically. Say, I renounce these things and turn from them to serve Jesus Christ. Name them. Say, I'm done with this. I'm done with that. You have to be sincere in your intentions to put these things away. And it's because God has said these things are wicked. You cannot mix serving God and rebelling against him. The Bible tells us that there is no fellowship between light and darkness. There is no gray area with God. There was righteousness, and there was wickedness. There was holiness, and then there's everything else. There was that which God approves of, and there was that which is rebelling against Him. And if there are visible 
or physical manifestations in a person or in your home, such as in Warren Smith's testimony, then you may need to command the demon to leave. And you need to do it relying on the authority that Jesus Christ has. It's not a magical incantation. If you just think that just by repeating the words that something is going to happen, don't expect anything to be of help. And that is actually recorded in the book of Acts in the Bible, where some people who did not believe on Jesus Christ had no confidence in these things. They thought that they were going to cast the devil out of a man by doing it. And the thing looked on them and said, I know who Jesus is, and I know who Paul is, but who are you? And the thing jumped on them and overpowered seven of them. It is because you believe that Jesus Christ is exactly who he says he is. You have confidence in the authority that he really has. He is the Son of God. And all of these demonic spirits know it, and they tremble before him, we're told. In the Bible, we're told, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits. That means test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. And it tells you, it says, Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. This is in 1 John chapter 4, 1 through 3. You can challenge them, just as Johanna Michelson did. And many others have. You can search YouTube and find videos of people telling you, I was in witchcraft, and I did this, and I was freed. I was in Satanism. I did this, and I was freed. I was in Hinduism. I called on Jesus, and I was freed. I, my house was haunted with paranormal things. I called on Jesus. I was freed. There's so many testimonies. Every background, these people believed and they proved it. But you can challenge them just as Johanna Michelson did, and many others have. They fear Jesus Christ. Why would they unless he was exactly who he said he was and is? He is the unique Son of God. He is God manifest, manifest in a human body. Test them, and they will fail. I don't care if they seem very peaceful. If you have something like a spirit God or a spirit that you talk to and get advice or counsel from, test them. I challenge you, and you will see their countenance change whenever you begin talking to them about the Bible, about Jesus Christ as he is revealed in the Bible. There is antagonism, there is opposition, there is hatred. If you need to, say something to the effect of this from the book of Acts, uh, where Paul deals with a woman who is possessed. And we're told in Acts 16, verses 16 and 18, And it came to pass, as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divination met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. But Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out the same hour. So you can say something to that effect if there is a visible manifestation in your home, or a possession even. Say something to the effect of, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the Son of God, to leave. And you may have to pray for a few minutes or so. But something, you know, be praying along those lines. But you will see a response. If there are just some things happening in your home, like the one woman that my wife worked with, then you need to pray in your home. And I would recommend purging your house of everything occultic first, and then submit yourself to the authority of God by believing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Then just get on your knees somewhere in your house where these things are manifesting, and pray. And praying is simply speaking to God. Just remember that you're talking to God. It's not your buddy.
and ask God in the name of Jesus Christ to send away every unclean spirit from your home. Claim the protection that comes from submitting to the name of Jesus Christ and his shed blood. Ask him to send his Holy Spirit to protect you in your home. These are things that you can do. Now remember, God is not some angry kid on an anthill with a magnifying glass just waiting to smite someone. He is a loving Heavenly Father, but our sinful works and our wicked practices separate us from Him. We invite these things upon us when we rebel against Him. He is holy, and He cannot, because of His holiness, dwell with wickedness. But if you submit to His rightful authority, then He will quickly enter your life and protect and guide you by His Holy Spirit. And where the Spirit of God is, there is no power of darkness strong enough to touch you. Now, I hope that those of you who truly need deliverance from these things will speedily accept his deliverance and salvation. And there is nothing you have done that God has not already forgiven someone else of. He is ready and willing to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, we are told. He can change your very desires and give you a new heart and a new spirit, but you must accept the gospel and submit to the rightful authority of Jesus Christ. The one woman whom my wife worked with that proved the authority of the name of Jesus herself, she didn't submit to God. After God showed his authority in Jesus Christ's name to her and showed that these things were subject to his authority, she actually she refused the gospel. And do you know what happened? The things came back. She moved to a new house, and they came back even after that. I even heard uh, in uh, my home state in West Virginia, there was a couple lived around Buchanan. There's a certain town here. And they had a house that was um, starting to go through. It was starting to affect their children and everything. Terrifying things is what it sounded. I read the article in the newspaper. And what happened was they moved. And they were like, oh, goodness, we have to move. It got terrifying. That's what it sounded like. And they made the mistake that whenever they moved, they started looking back into these things. And they were like, well, I wonder what that was. And so they started getting involved in the occult. They started getting into paranormal investigation and all these things. And you know what happened? The things came back. You see, they tried to separate from these things. And because they started getting involved in these things, it just invited worse things upon them. Nothing is going to help except for Jesus Christ. And as I keep trying to emphasize and beat a dead horse mentioning it so much, you can prove it. Here's a final warning from Scripture. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him? God also bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders and with diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost, according to his own will. For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden under foot the Son of God, and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing, and hath done despite under the Spirit of grace? For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me, I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. 
God is ready and willing to help all those who call upon him in sincerity and to submit themselves to the righteousness of God and of Christ. But whenever people come to that knowledge and they think that they can just use the name of Jesus Christ to help themselves, but they refuse to submit themselves to him, don't expect God to help you. Now, this same God who has given us warning about that has invited us to come to him, saying, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. If anyone has any questions, you can email me at brotherjohn at remnantbiblefellowship.com. There is a question button on the main podcast webpage. That's brotherjohn, J-O-N, at remnantbiblefellowship.com. Thank you for listening to Remnant Bible Fellowship. We do hope and pray that you would commit your life to Christ and continue in Him. We desire to see people seeking Jesus Christ and coming to know Him personally. If you have questions about salvation, the Bible, or your own walk with Christ, please contact Brother Jonathan by email. Brother John, that's J-O-N, at remnantbiblefellowship.com. That's Brother John at remnantbiblefellowship.com.